Hey everyone, this is Jeff Stanek with Figure It Out Baseball. We've got a really exciting Figure It Out Baseball podcast today. Uh, we are lucky enough to be joined by Tom Walter, who is the head coach at Wake Forest uh, Division One school in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, obviously in the ACC. Uh, so excited to get into questions with him, but I'll give you a quick background on Coach Walter before we jump into questions. Uh, he's a guy with just such an interesting background and an interesting backstory, so we'll get into it as much as we can. Coach Walter is a Johnstown, Pennsylvania native. Uh, he played collegiately at Georgetown for four years, graduated in 1991. He was a graduate assistant then uh, to begin his coaching career at George Washington from 1992 through 1994. He earned his master's degree while he was at George Washington in 1994. From 1995 through 96, he spent two seasons as an assistant general manager with the Greensboro, North Carolina Bats, which is a Class A affiliate of the Yankees. And then in 1997, the spring of 97, he was hired for the first time as a head coach. He became the head coach at George Washington, an NCAA Division I school in Washington, D.C. He was there from 1997 through 2004. His 2002 team went to a regional. That year in 2002, he had six players drafted. That was the most in school history. And he left there as the school's all-time wins leader. From 2005 through 2009, he was the head coach at New Orleans, another Division I program. Uh, highlights there, he went to back-to-back -back regionals in 2007 and 2008 on some really, really good teams. The 2007 team won the first conference championship at New Orleans since 1979. The 2008 team won 43 games. That was the second most in program history. And that led uh, Coach Walter to be hired at Wake Forest in June 2009, with 2010 being his first spring. Some highlights at Wake Forest in 2016, the team went to an NCAA regional. He had a player drafted 22nd overall that year who was also the National Player of the Year. Then 2017 uh, had a really tremendous year. They hosted a regional, which they swept. They were one game away from going to the College World Series, and they only lost to Florida, who was the eventual national champion in 2017. They finished that year with a 43-20 and overall record. Uh, Wake Forest set the program record that year with 19 conference wins. They had nine all-conference players, a school record. They hit 106 home runs that year, which was a school record. They had eight players drafted off of that team, which was a school record. In 2019, uh, Coach Walter won his 700th game as a Division I head coach in a game on March 3rd against Furman. Uh, he is known throughout the game as an excellent communicator, a proven developer of young, man and, young men and baseball players, uh, really well thought of in the game. He has seen 36 Wake Forest players move on to play professional baseball. In addition to that, he's had uh, 26 of his players from George Washington went on to play pro ball. 11 from New Orleans uh, were, were drafted. He has worked with Team USA Baseball. He has overseen an incredible renovations uh, with David F. Couch Ballpark at Wake Forest, including most recently the construction of a $14 million player development center that began in 2016 that includes um, – an unbelievable pitching lab, which we'll probably need to get into a little bit in this podcast. Um, for six consecutive seasons, in addition to what they do on the field, all of the program's seniors at Wake Forest have graduated on time, which is pretty incredible for, for any college athlete to graduate on time. Uh, and to have six straight years, that is pretty amazing. He is one of just three active NCAA coaches to have led three different programs to the NCAA tournament, only the seventh coach all time to do so. In 22 seasons as a head coach, he's compiled a record of 723 wins to 607 losses. He enters 2020 as the second all-time 
uh, wins leader at Wake Forest. Uh, Tom Walter, everybody, the head coach at Wake Forest, and Coach Walter, we're so thankful to have you on the program today. Jeff, it's my pleasure. Always uh, good to connect with a fellow Western Pennsylvania in. Um, so I'm excited to be here. Yes, uh, I'm, Johnstown is not far from where I where I'm from. And I didn't know for for a while. I didn't know that Coach Walter was a Johnstown native. When I found that out, it always just gives you an extra sense of camaraderie with somebody. Um, I first uh, at least became familiar and got to know you a little bit when you were at Wake Forest. Uh, at the time, I was at Winthrop. I was at Winthrop in 2010 and 11, so I was there for your first year at Wake Forest. Um, do you mind just talking a little bit about what it was like to transition to the ACC, to transition to a major conference? Uh, just a, a lot of things are different there as far as the competition that you see every day, um, the budget, the facilities, all that stuff is, is so different than I'm sure what you had at, at New Orleans or at George Washington. Do you mind just talking about that a little bit, what it was like for you to uh, get into the ACC and how that transition went for you? Yeah, for sure. So um, you're right. It was a, it was a big jump in in level. Certainly, I mean George Washington's a, is a great program and and is in good hands with uh, with Greg Ritchie there now. And and same thing with the University of New Orleans and Blake Dean. But um, but to come to the ACC is is kind of a different ball game. Uh, you know, day in day out, you're competing against you know teams that are are you know going to Omaha and hosting regionals and teams that have had you know are used to having success at a national level. Um, so, you know, the competition level is, is certainly ramped up and, and the demands on the time of your players, um, you know, ramps up too at a school like Wake Forest. You know, it's a, you know, again, George Washington is a great academic school and New Orleans is a, is a good school too, but Wake Forest is a, is kind of a different level academically than those two schools. So, you know, you're, you're recruiting a player that's not only competing at the highest level of college baseball, but he's also competing at the highest level of, of academics um, in the classroom each and every day so it's a you know it's a whole new ball game yeah absolutely at that, that level trying to compete at that level uh, you know from day in and day out 2017 you guys obviously culminated with uh, 43 wins had an, had an unbelievable season um, what was the driving force behind that team one of the best teams that, that Wake Forest has had maybe ever but certainly in your time there um, was it a, I'm sure it was a combination between coaches, players, a little bit of everything, but what, can you point to anything specifically that led to the success that you guys had that season? Yeah, a big difference was we, you know, Parker Dunchy was our number one pitcher, and and he was drafted as a junior by the by the Cubs, and and they did not kind of get to his asking number, so he came back for his senior year, which 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 really was the difference for us. Not only because he was our Friday night starter and won 11 games that year, he lost his opener against Houston, and then and then didn't lose again um, the rest of the year, you know, including you know wins at Louisville and and. And, you know, um, and in the in the regional against West Virginia, and then in the super regional against Florida, um, got a no decision, but uh, but certainly gave us a chance to win that game. So, you know, Dunch um, not only on the mound being a real Friday night guy, but his leadership. I mean, Parker Dunchy um, was a leader on that team. Gavin Sheets was a leader on that team, and John McCarron was our other captain. I mean, that leadership group um, was really good, and and they were really versatile. You know, Parker was kind of the you know 
in your face, you know what I mean? You didn't want to disappoint Parker. Like, you didn't want to be the guy that let Parker down. Like, Gavin was more the lead-by-example guy that was such a good player and just did everything right from a work ethic standpoint and the way he approached his, his daily work and his at-bats in such a professional way. And then John McCarron was kind of the guy that the players could lean on and go to, you know what I mean? Kind of the guy that when they were having things off the field that he wanted to talk about, they knew John was there for him. So, um, you know, Parker's return for his senior year and, and that kind of leadership group, I think, was the key to that team. And then, you know, obviously we were talented. I mean, we had Stuart Fairchild and Gavin Sheets in the middle of our order. Both those two guys were, you know, signed for, you know, Stewie signed for $1.8 million and Gavin signed for $2 million. Um, you know, so we were, you know, and then we had Ben Brazil right behind them who had a great year. And the list goes on of, of good players on that team. And I know a team that's got that kind of leadership, there's a lot of leadership from above as well. Um, and I, I don't – I know it's probably uncomfortable for you just knowing you uh, – you know, the little bit that I do, uh, it's probably uncomfortable for you to talk about yourself very much. But how much stock do you put in in being a leader for your players and sort of being the one that – that sets the tone with that around the team as far as, you know, just, you know, caring about your players on and off the field, uh, being someone who they know that they can is more than just a coach to them, but someone who, who legitimately cares about their academic success and their success once they, once they leave your place. How much is that a part of your game as, as the head coach at Wake Forest? Well, it's a huge part. You know, Jeff, a lot of a lot of coaches today think that, that kids today don't like to work hard, right? I hear that all the time. Kids today are lazy. Well, I totally disagree with that. I think kids today love to work, but the difference is when you and I were growing up, and I'm older than you, I realize when when uh, but when we were growing up, you know, kids would just do what they were told. They would they would kind of follow blindly. You know what I mean? If a coach told you to do something, or or an adult or an elder told you to do something, you just did it. Well, kids today don't they don't do something unless they understand why they're doing it, and they and they believe in what they're doing. And if and if they buy into what you're doing and they believe in it and they understand why, then they work their tails off. I mean, they'll they'll throw themselves into it and work it extremely hard. They'll work as hard as any generation of kids I've, that we've seen. Um, but again, so it's different. So, so the reason I say that is, to, to your point, you have to build that trust. If you don't have that trust between you and your team, if they don't trust you and your other coaches, then they're not going to play hard for you, and they're not going to go out there and, and compete for you. Um, you know, and, and more importantly, compete for one another. You know, again, you know, we that with that particular team that you mentioned, we read a book that year called The Boys in the Boat, um, which was just an awesome story about a young man who dealt with all sorts of, you know, um, you know, things that are un, unthought of, you know, had to live on his own as a 14-year-old and basically find a way to survive and found a way to pay for a semester in college and ended up on the crew team and, and won a national championship and then eventually a gold medal in crew. And, and just all the, the life lessons we learned from that book about perseverance and toughness and brotherhood and, and kind of being a part of a team and, and being part of something greater than yourself. I mean, I think, I think those things really help that team kind of gel and, and come together. You read a book uh, as a team. Are there other team-building exercises that you do to sort of help create the buy-in or help to uh, cultivate the culture that you want there, or is that just something that 
that just happens kind of naturally when you have the right group of guys together based on how you run practice and things like that? Are, are there any particular things that you guys try to do at Wake Forest to try to to build that 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 real team family atmosphere? Well, without question, you mentioned our player development center. You know, our fourteen million dollar player development center. One of the great things we have in here is a is a is an amazing team meeting room. So, you know, we get in there and we do work. Again, we don't do it every week, but we do it at least twice a month. Where we'll get in there and have a meeting um, with some sort of. A, you know, kind of leadership slash brotherhood slash team-oriented focus where we're, you know, some message that we're delivering to the team. This year the book we read was called uh, Brothers Forever. So we've been, the last three years we've read a book and we've used that book to, to kind of teach, you know, not only baseball lessons but life lessons. And this Brothers Forever book we used this year was just kind of all about brotherhood and, and a commitment to excellence, just a daily commitment to, to being excellent in your life. And, and again, I don't mean just on the baseball field, but in the classroom, in 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 your social in social settings, you know, nutrition, sleep, recovery, you know, all that stuff, you know, our guys to compete at the highest level and to and to play at the you know at the major league level like most of our guys you know aspire to do, and to go to Omaha. I mean, these are the things, these are the sacrifices that you have to make. So again. It's our job as coaches, just like parents out there, Jeff, it's our job as coaches to give our kids three things. You know, we give them information, we give them resources, and we give them opportunity. Um, and then hopefully we inspire them to take advantage of those things. And, and hopefully they're passionate enough about baseball where, you know, again, baseball is what gets them up out of bed every morning and, and is what they look forward to. So, um, so yeah, so a particular exercise we did this year that I loved um, – we actually divided the team into five categories, survivor, competitor, contributor, winner, champion. And we and we basically said that everybody on the team fits into one of those five categories. So the first thing we did was we had the team talk about, um, you know, where, you know, what those categories meant. And they decided that survivor was somebody who was kind of just content you know, with this situation, happy to be on the team, you know, just didn't didn't do anything extra to, to really help the team win, didn't hurt the team or pull the other direction, but at the same time was just kind of there, you know, kind of buying, biding time and, 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 and just wanted to stay, play baseball at Wake Forest, right? The the competitor was somebody who worked hard and but but maybe didn't have the self-awareness that he needed to, to figure out a way to help the team. He had some talent and he worked hard, but maybe didn't understand what he needed to do to help the team, um, you know, didn't wasn't willing to stay on his branch, so to speak. And then the contributor was somebody that that had some self awareness and was willing to do that, but maybe didn't display leadership skills, didn't make those around him better, you know, like a winner would. And then the difference between winner and champion was, you know, again, the champion is somebody who, in every phase of their life, again, rest, recovery, nutrition, social settings, academics, baseball, in every phase of their life, they're excellent every day, and they're making every decision decision, you know, every little decision they make is tied to being that that champion type mentality, that kind of a person. So, you know, then we what we did is we sent the kids out of the room three at a time and they sat in the conference room while the team talked about which category they fit into. 
And then we we brought them back into the room, and I asked them one by one, okay, what what category do you think you're in, and why? And then the kid would have to stand there and say, well, I'm, you know, I think I'm a contributor, and this is why. And then I and then I would say, okay, what do you need to do if you're if you think you're a contributor, what do you need to do to be a winner? And then he would kind of say, you know, okay, this is what I would need to do to take the, you know, go one step to the left on the board. And then I would tell that person what the team said. Okay, this is what you, this is where you said you are, and this is where the team has you. And and that was a really great exercise for us, Jeff, because it was an eye opener for our guys. Because again, I, I think there's sometimes there's a disconnect between what kids think they're putting out to the world and and what the and and how the world sees it. So again, for them to hear from their teammates that hey, this is how we see you day in, day out, um, and then for them to understand that there's a disconnect between those two. You know, and some of the guys, it was to the good. Like some of the guys had themselves in that competitor category, and, and, and the team might have had them in a winner category, and then some were the opposite. You know, there was a couple guys on the team that were in the survivor category for their teammates, and they thought they were contributors. Um, so, again, I thought it was just a great exercise just to, again, try to line up you know, guys and get them to understand what they needed to do on a daily basis to, to be a winner or a champion. That is very scary for a college player. I'm sure, uh, you know, a 19, 20 year old to stand up in front of his teammates and have to give an account of who he thinks he is and then have his teammates be honest, you know, and tell him who just, just hear the honesty from his teammates. That's, that's gotta be uh, a, a scary thing for the kids, but such a, that's such a great thing to do. Uh, in my opinion, and, and, and something that I think most of your kids got a, a lot out of, and, and just a very powerful thing for your players to hear. So that's that's amazing. Uh, love to hear things like that. Uh, you, there are a lot of different directions that we can go here, but uh, but to begin this, you talked about the player development center that you've got, and, a, and an interesting part of that that I've seen, and I'm sure a lot of other people have seen. Uh, on social media is your your pitching lab, and I know that I've I've read that uh, that a big part of that is just that you felt like you needed to Wake Forest needed to find a way to keep your players healthy, and that was a big part of the pitching lab. Do you mind just talking a little bit about um, the pitching lab, just what what you guys have there, what sort of technology that you've got? You know, what about the pitching lab helps uh, your players to stay healthy and and to I guess, to maximize their own abilities. You might just talk about it a little bit, just kind of give people an idea of, of really what the pitching lab is about. Yeah, no, absolutely. We're, we're really proud of the pitching lab. I can talk for hours on that. Um, so the genesis of the pitching lab was maybe four years ago, our team doctor uh, at the time, Michael Freehill, who, who left to become the team doctor with the Tigers, um, came to me and, and and had an idea for a pitching lab and and he wanted to privatize it because he thought we could use it you know truthfully to make money and and even probably um, you know do some research and figure out some things that that we could bring to market you know some some teaching tools and some things like that that you know set new standards for things that um, that you know again as he used to call things you know you know pitch counts and things like that are all are all level five evidence. Dr. Free also say that all the time. Level five evidence. It's just somebody's opinion. Like like this one hundred pitch mark, you know, people you just pull that that number out of the air and, it, and the number's not based in any science, right? So and then you know this, Jeff, right? So pitchers 
you know, if you throw 100 pitches and your team's winning 8-1 to one and you gave up three hits and you were in the windup most of the game and you didn't have to worry about base runners, the stress level of those 100 pitches is a lot different than 100 pitches when the score is 6-5 to five and you've got traffic on the bases every inning and you've got to make big pitches and you're pitching from the stretch and you're picking off a lot. You know, it's totally different. So to say 100 pitches is the number is, is, is absurd, quite honestly. So, you know, again, sometimes, you know how it is, sometimes 80 pitches is too much for a guy in that situation. And then sometimes a kid can go 110 pitches and it's okay. Uh, no, I don't think high school kids should go 110 pitches. Let me, let me just say that out loud. Um, but I'm talking about our college guys, like 110 pitches sometimes is fine for our guys. And sometimes it isn't, it just depends on the, on the game. But, um, so the, the, the first goal of the pitching lab, when we had this vision was to a do some research so we can make a difference in the game. I mean, you know, Baseball is a, is a, you know, multi-billion dollar industry, and every year the statistics for the guys on the on the DL because of arm problems is staggering. I mean, teams, you know, they're having an, an average of $45 million a year per team on the, on the disabled list, you know, that are pitchers, you know, which is just a crazy statistic. So, you know, we thought we could do some research to help – you know, understand what's going on with these injuries, what's creating these injuries, and 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 hopefully eventually come up with 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 a plan to to help mitigate those injuries. Um, so that's number one. Number two, we wanted to build this pitching lab to get our players better. You know what I mean? We want to go to Omaha. We want to win. You know, at Wake Forest. Um, you know, with with our cost of school being what it is, and and we don't have a lot of academic scholarship money to give um, like some of our competitors and our financial aid quite honestly is just okay um, compared to some of our competitors so we're, we're at a financial disadvantage compared to those who we compete against so not only um, do I think we need to develop our players better than anybody else in, in our league but I, we need to keep them healthier because we're just not going to have the depth that some of the other teams in our league have so again goal number one of this lab has always been to make a difference in the game and then goal number two secondary to that is has always always been, you know, let's get to Omaha and, and have a pitching staff that, you know, we've been good enough offensively, Jeff, probably four out of the last six years to go to Omaha and win. Um, and, and we've only had the pitching staff that was capable of doing that one out of the last six years. And that was obviously in 2017. Now we have a pitching staff again this year that's good enough and, and we're good enough offensively again this year. So again, we're good enough on the mound and at the plate again this year to go to Omaha. And we'll, and again, we've got to play well and we've got to stay healthy to do that and then this pitching lab's a big part of it but so um, that was the genesis of it and then dr. Freehill left so we went to the hospital and we pitched this idea to our hospital Wake Baptist is one of the premier teaching hospitals in the country and it's right here in our backyard and we went to them and asked them to partner with us and and they and they agreed uh, much to our delight and surprise maybe a little bit they agreed and they were all in and they they hired the right team doctor for us for this lab because a team doctor is an important part of this lab 
and they also hired a biomechanist, um, a PhD in biomechanics and kinesiology, Kristen Nicholson, who runs our lab. You know, one of the things Dr. Freehill had told us was that it's great to have this lab, but unless you have the PhD running the lab, the information you're getting is useless to baseball coaches. You need somebody who's who's capturing that information and scrubbing it and presenting it to you in a way that's useful to baseball coaches. Um, and he was 100% right, and thankfully the hospital agreed to this to this plan, gave us some money to help us build the lab, but also hired the, the right team doctor, Brian Waterman, and the right biomechanist, Kristen Nicholson, to kind of head up our lab. So what we have in there specifically is 16 infrared biomechanical cameras, you know, so it's the, you know, where you put the markers on and, and you get the 3D stick figure guy that goes through his delivery. So we've got 16 of those. Those cost about $223,000 roughly. Um, give or take a hundred bucks, um, and then we've got we've got two force plates. Well, technically we've got three force plates in the mound. So we've got the force um, on the rubber as well as that foot strike um, through the rubber. So between the force plates and the mound itself, we spent another hundred thousand dollars. Then we've got edutronics cameras in there, and then and then high, and then other high speed cameras. So we spent probably another fifty thousand dollars on our our camera system. So we're at two twenty five plus. You know, 150, so we're at 375, and then we've got TrackMan, which is another 25 grand, so we're at 400, and then we've got the, you know, we've got the space that we built, um, you know, which was about 800 thousand dollars. So we're, you know, we're in for about 1.2 million dollars on this pitching lab, and the, the information we get from from this Jeff is is just unbelievable. I mean, we get specific measurements for you know trunk speed and hip shoulder separation and force into the ground at foot strike and all those all those things that again if you're going to stay healthy the one thing we've learned is that if you're going to stay healthy you've got to put force into the ground at foot strike because you've got to be able to stabilize that front leg so you can decelerate um, and it also, what it does is it gives you increased hip shoulder separation, which again leads to better velocity and, and actually better command. Um, when you do it correctly. So so point of the matter is we've what we've learned is and, and what everybody's always known is the delivery is very lower half based, right? Again, these kids today I think the they've got to fight the urge to, to pitch with their upper half and that it's a, the when they want to throw hard, the urge is to rip out that front side and fly open and, and again it creates all sorts of problems rather than if you want to throw hard, stay in your legs um, and put force into the ground at foot strike and stabilize that front side. That's the best way to throw hard. And again, it's hard to get kids to understand that. And until you can get them in this lab, we've got three TV screens next to this pitching mound. So we've got live TrackMan data. We've got live force plate data. We've got live edutronic data on the on the um, the the TV screen, so they can literally, you know, throw a fastball at 91 miles an hour, and then we can make a little tweak, and then they can see that it goes to 93 miles an hour, and their spin rate goes up, you know what I mean? So they can see adjustments pitch to pitch and how it affects the baseball, which is really cool. Um, what we're adding this spring is we're adding Kinetrax this spring, which is a markerless system, which again um, is going to allow us to get some in-game data, uh, which is going to be pretty cool to compare 
what's going on in the game to what's going on in the lab. Um, the only thing we've been able to do so far for that is we'll take our guys. Last spring we would take our guys after they pitched. You know, they throw maybe 100 pitches or 105 pitches in the game. We'd marker them up after they pitch, and they'd go into the lab and throw, you know, 15 pitches in the lab at fatigue so we could we can compare those numbers to when they were fresh because, again, the comparison to, to at fatigue, I think everybody agrees that most injuries occur at fatigue. So what we want to see is what's going on at fatigue, right? Is it extension? Is it internal, external, you know, rotation? Is it hips? You know, what is it? You know, what's happening when these injuries are, are occurring? So, so again, these are some of the things we're doing in there, which are, you know, again, I could talk for hours about, but it's um, – there's there's only two of these labs in the country. Driveline has one, of course, and then ASMI, who started out in golf, has one in Southern California. The Milwaukee Brewers, I think, you know, we've had all 30 major league teams come in and look at this lab. The Milwaukee Brewers, um, what I'm told, have built something very similar um, after coming through here. And uh, and I think the other major league teams are, are not far behind. I mean, I think – at some point, all 30 major league teams are going to have something like this. And, and quite honestly, I've been surprised that, that it hasn't happened faster for them uh, because it's a, you know, again, you're talking about maybe a million-dollar investment plus some, plus some personnel. You know what I mean? You've got personnel to add to that because one of the keys to this, Jeff, and I'm sorry I'm rambling, but, um, you know, one of the keys to this whole thing is, is collaboration, right? We've got the right strength coach and the right, um, athletic trainer who put our guys through mobility screens to see how they're moving, right? And then you've got the right biomechanist and the right team doctor, the right pitching coach, the right player development coordinator, and they all sit in a room with the kid's folder and they look at, at how he's moving and everything that he does, and then they, they individualize a program for him because, again, everybody moves differently, right? Everybody's got different ankle mobility and knees and, and hips and shoulders and, and, and so so what we're doing is we're kind of seeing where our players are deficient or where they need work, again, whether it's ankles, knees, hips, or shoulders, and then we're giving them corrective exercises that they can do in the training room, they can do in the weight room, they can do pre-throw, post-throw, you know, all those things. So we're, we're individualizing their program to, A, keep them healthy, and, B, increase their performance. So it's, a, it's really um, a collaborative effort from – you know, about six or eight people to pull this all together and, and put it in place. And it's been, uh, it's been fun to watch it all come together. It is wild. Just what you guys are able to do. It's, it's no wonder that look online at a program like Wake Forest and look at the coaching staff and you guys have so many more coaches than like a division two or division three team or a junior college. And it's, it's no wonder you just, that, that sounds like it's going to be full several times, or several full-time people just to, you know, just to run the pitching lab, which is amazing. The, the just what you guys are able to do, the amount of data you can collect, and how you can help people is is just, it's amazing. It's so amazing to me how far this stuff has come in the last really five six years. So it's pretty amazing to me. Um, I know we don't have well, much time. Our question. Go ahead. No, I was going to say without question, I, I can't wait to see where it goes over the next five or six years. It's it's amazing, and the amount of money that's going to be spent is also is also pretty staggering. Uh, I know we're running out of time with you, Coach Walter. Um, I just want to ask you one more thing, and then I'm going to kind of go into some quick quick hitter type of questions. Um, you are a guy that's had a great amount of success everywhere that you've been. 
you've turned around uh, a couple of programs that were struggling. Um, you've had some great success at Wake Forest, despite maybe being one of the more difficult places to win in the ACC. Um, what is, if you could point to maybe just one or two things, what is the secret to Tom Walter's success, success you've had in your career as a coach um, at pretty much every stop that you've had? Well, I think it obviously starts with great assistant coaches. Um, at each of those places, I've been very fortunate. Um, you know, at GW, guys like Dennis Healy and Joe Rakuya, Jeff Wagner, um, um, you know, on the staff there at, at New Orleans, it was, you know, Bill Salento and, and again, Dennis Healy, um, you know, there at, at UNO and Bruce Petty. Um, and then at, at Wake Forest, it's been Bill Salento and, and Dennis Healy again. And then, um, you know, Matt Hobbs, who's at Arkansas now, and now John Hendricks. So, you know, first and foremost, it starts with the, with the coaches who are, are kind of in the trenches with the guys day in, day out, and, 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 and have that player development focus um you know again in each one of those places it's been about player development um at each of these stops um and then the second part is is just getting your guys to play with confidence right i, I think such a big part of coaching is just um is being positive and and getting kids to again believe in the in the system and the program and and getting them to understand what you need them to do that communication part of it you know them knowing um what your expectations are and and them knowing that you believe in them that you know that's one of the most important things um you know that you can do for a young player um and again i compare it to parenting all the time right i, I think the most important thing you can do as a parent is is is, is have your kid be comfortable in his or her her own skin, right? That's the and where does that come from, right? That that comes from a um, a young man or woman knowing that above and beyond anything else that that they are loved, right? That you're going to be there for them, and it's the same thing with coaching, right? Our kids need to know that we have their best interests at heart, that everything that we do is for them. Um, it's not about us; it's about the team and it's about their development. And and once they believe that, and they believe in you, and, and then they start to believe in themselves, then it's easy for them to believe in the program and make great team decisions. So, uh, again, I think it's – if I were to point to anything, it's it's a combination of great assistant coaches um, who get the mission and, and kind of are bought into what we're trying to do, um, and it's just instilling confidence in your players and, and getting them to understand, have confidence in, in you and what you're trying to do and understand that above and beyond anything else, you you love them and that you're there for them. If anybody's listening to this and they, and they don't want to play at Wake Forest, especially if they're a pitcher, I think they're nuts. Just I want to put that out there. Uh, Coach, i got a couple of quick uh, hitter kind of questions for you where I'm just going to ask you something, uh, something quick, and hopefully the answer is nice and short. Some of these will be a little more challenging than others, but hopefully none of them are too bad. Um, and then uh, then I'll let, you, I'll let you jump off the phone and, and get ready for your season, <laughs> which is coming up pretty quick. Uh, Coach Walter, who is the best college player that you've ever coached? Well, that's a tough call. You know, there have been so many. I mean, at, at the University of New Orleans, Johnny Givatella um, was a great player, just a, a gamer, ultimate competitor, you know, leader, was just a force on the field, was and just willed willed the team to win. Um, you know, so he, he's certainly on a super short list. You know, at Wake Forest, you know, Will Craig was the national player of the year, and, and he's probably the best hitter 
you know, the best hitter I've ever coached. You know, so Johnny probably the best kind of – Johnny and Parker Dunchy, the two best kind of leader competitors. You know, Will Craig, the best hitter. Um, you know, Stu Fairchild, the best all-around athlete. You know, Gavin Sheets is certainly on that list as somebody. I mean, I, you know, I've been just so fortunate to coach so many great players. To, to, to name just one, I think, would be doing, you know, five or six guys a, a disservice. A lot of these questions may end up that way, but that's okay. Um, who's the best player that you have played against, a guy you really did not want to see on the other side of the field? Well, when I was a player, Mo Vaughn. Um, Mo Vaughn, um, that's, that's when I knew that I wasn't going to be a major leaguer. I thought I was pretty good. And, then, and, then, we, and then, we, then we ran into Mo Vaughn, and I was like, oh, that's what a major leaguer looks like. <laughs> that was an eye-opener eye for me. Um, but, um, but, you know, here, I mean, you know, as an assistant coach, Todd Walker stands out at LSU. When I was an assistant at GW, he was a guy that, I mean, he was just a freshman at the time. But talk about a polished hitter and somebody that you just, I mean, again, was just impossible to pitch to and, and get out. Um, you know, here at Wake Forest, again, the ACC's had so many players. I mean, again, my, I remember my first year in the league. I mean, we faced Matt Harvey at Carolina, and I'm thinking to myself, is this what the ACC is? Is this what we're going to see every day? We're going to see Matt Harvey? I was like, oh, we're never going to win a game ever. Um, so, you know, you've got had guys like that roll through here um, that have been fun to fun to compete against and try to find a way to beat. So, again, that's a, that's a long and, and accomplished list of, uh, of players for sure. Some really good names there. This may be a tough one for you, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Uh, of the college coaches that are out there today, who's the one coach that you feel like uh, outcoaches everybody else, the guy that, that just gets the absolute most out of his team every year, year in and year out? Wow. I mean, besides me? Um... Besides Tom Walter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, man, a lot of great coaches in our league. I mean, obviously Brian O'Connor does a great job at UVA, um, you know, and, and has won a national championship there. I think the new coach at Rutgers, um, you know, uh, Steve Owens does a fantastic job. Uh, Brian, right? And, and yep, yep, came from Brian and is at Rutgers now. I think he's really good at what he does. Um you know, so those those two guys um, certainly come to mind. Dan McDonald at Louisville, obviously. I mean, the success he's had there, and and the, and and his ability to win at the highest level, and 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 kind of make them a perennial power, and and kind of going to Omaha each and every year. I mean, he's he's clearly on that list. Elliot Avan at NC State, I think he does a great job, and his players love to play for him. Um, you know, so again, those are those are the guys that that kind of come to mind right away. But I'm sure there's a dozen others. A lot of really good names on that list as well. Uh, when you retire, what's one thing that you hope people will say about you? <laughs> 